Hey, this is John Legadakis of johnlegadakis.com and I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. This podcast is a live recording of an interview I do each week with other internet marketers, personal development and business leaders where we talk about how we can better promote our products and services online, get more traffic and make more sales. I hope you get a lot out of today's recording. Hello and welcome to the podcast, everyone. It's great to have you here. Thank you so very much for joining us. I have a very special guest with us today. I want you to welcome with me Todd Tresseter. Thanks for having me on the show, John. Thank you, Todd. I really appreciate you joining us today. I'll tell you a bit about Todd. Todd is a serial entrepreneur since childhood who developed his financial and investment expertise by building and selling a hedge fund investment management business to retire at age 35. And for the past two decades, since he's been doing one-on-one coaching with people to help them to build wealth and live a wealthy life. Just to give you an idea, he's published five books and also has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Investors Business Daily, Forbes, NPR, and MarketWatch, among other places. So he's got a lot of great wealth to share uh, so again, really appreciate you being here on the show with us, Todd. Todd, what, what I like to do, and actually I didn't mention this to you earlier, so I hope I don't throw you off here, but what I like to do initially, Todd, is just for me and our listeners to get to know you personally. You know, Before we start talking about finances and business and how you can help us improve in those areas, I'd like to know what makes Todd what Todd is today, like how, how you got to, to do what you do. Love to learn about you growing up, your childhood experiences, influences, family, school, your first job, all that kind of thing. Jeez, that's a lot of old stuff. <laughs> I'm 55, so <laughs> going back to childhood is like uh, ancient times. I grew up, I was one of three brothers, um, grew up in a middle class family. You know, I didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth, I had to work my way through college. You know, not underprivileged, but like I didn't have enough money in college to buy a bicycle. I think that's part of what drove me. And I lived in the bicycle capital of the world. UC Davis, you know, everything's by bicycle. And I didn't, I couldn't even afford a bike, you know, so I was having to walk to class and in a bicycle area. Anyway, so I think that's what drove me to really want financial freedom was living with a lack and realizing the role money played in your life, the important role money played in your life. Um, in my life. And so uh, when I came out of college, I'd, I'd observed when I went to college, I'd observed my brothers before me and other family friends and whatnot. And I noticed something interesting that, you know, most people just kind of break even, right? So it doesn't matter if they're working in a career or you're going to school, somehow people just sort of managed to break even. And I thought, well, I didn't really want that. I wanted to build something. And so I felt like, while I'm in school, it's okay to break even because I'm building my education and, you know, building my credentials and stuff. And so that was okay to break even then. As a matter of fact, I was happy to break even then, right? It's hard enough to get through school. And once I came out of college, though, I was very clear that I wanted to build wealth, that if I was going to bother earning money, that it, I needed to accumulate it into something. I needed to create wealth with it. I didn't want to just spend it all and piss it all away on lifestyle. And so that's kind of where a lot of that drive came from is it's like, it just seemed like a waste of time to just work your life away and, and have it amount to nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how did you start your own hedge fund management firm? 
Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting story. I my original work out of college was with Hewlett Packard Corp. And you have to go back to the days. This was in the days uh, the book In Search of Excellence was a bestseller. And that book talked about the top corporations to work for, which was like at the time it was IBM, Hewlett Packard, some of the major tech firms in the San Francisco Bay Area. And they were talking about greatest environments to work in. I got hired. I had a pretty good resume coming out of college. I'd been the business manager for the associated students. So for the entire campus, I ran all the businesses on campus. I've been an entrepreneur since childhood. So for a kid coming out of college, I had a rather remarkable resume and I got hired straight to one of the top firms and then was fired within six months. It was because I had zero political savvy. You know, I could produ- I could produce amazing results, right? Like I'm I went into an area that they were millions of dollars behind and I basically made them two million dollars within six months and got fired in the process. And it's just because, you know, I was like a bull in a china shop in there. There's a whole office with decorum and politics. And in my world, I was an entrepreneur. And, you know, not in the entrepreneur world, everything is results, you know. So I was in there to produce results and I did produce results. And it was an interesting system because you had two managers. One manager was in the department that I was working with in. And this manager thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. This guy just was amazed what results I was producing that nobody else had ever produced. I was turning up numbers for him. I was making him look great. He loved me. And then the person who decided my fate was on the admin side. And the admin person thought I was the worst thing ever to walk into that office. And she was the one that drove me getting fired. So it was a pretty interesting process. You know, I can laugh at it in hindsight, but at the time it was really painful. You know, I remember coming home after getting fired. And I, I looked in the mirror and, you know, there's all these stories of greats to get fired, you know, or get, you know, Michael Jordan gets cut from the high school basketball team. And, you know, there's all these stories of stuff. And I looked in the mirror and I just said, dude, you're either going to do some really great stuff or you're one bad loser right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm was... still amazed. Like, you know, if you could take, get going to a position where they're, they're behind millions and turn it around Still, I'm I'm quite surprised that you can get. I mean, you must have been really bad with office politics. Let's put it that way. Well, what it is, what it is, is I'm very clear about things. Like if you give me a if you give me a situation and say, you know, we need X to occur, I'll figure out how to make X occur, right? And I get very clear about processes. So I went in and I looked. They they had certain business objectives, and those were the objectives I was given. I managed by objectives. And I looked at it and I could see the problems in their office, right? Certain people weren't living up to the standards that were required in the office. And there were certain things that were going on. And I just looked at it and made it happen, you know, and it made some people look bad and some people look good, pissed people off. Some people loved it. But I was a bit of um, a, I'm a protagonist, if you will. Right. But the thing about it is I see it clearly. And so if you say this is the objective, then, okay, that's the objective, Right. But what they weren't saying is, no, no, the objective is we all play nicely together and we've all got to be this <laughs> and that, you know, so like I'm very results oriented. And some people that are running the admin side that were making the decisions are much more relationship driven. Yeah. And, 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 and someone new and, and you're a new person that comes in. They've been there for a while. They, you know, it's like, who is this person to come and change everything? Well, and the other thing, too, is I'm very dangerous because I did produce amazing results and it 
throws people off because it makes some people look bad because if this kid can come in and in six months produce these results and your department has lagged for that long, you don't want that kid around, right? Because your department has screwed it up for a long, long, long time. This kid showed how to turn it around. I turned it all into business processes and had going systematically in six months, stuff that they stuck on for years. I made I made her look really bad, and so she fired me. Yeah. And you know what? We, we could spend the whole half hour talking about the flaws of corporations, and it would be very interesting. But we talked previous, previous to coming on air. We discussed, okay, what could we talk about? for our audience today, which would be of really good value because you have lots of talking points. There's lots of things you could discuss to help people in lots of areas. Some of those include retirement planning, investment strategy. Another one we talked about was, um, and I'm just struggling now. uh, How to have more clients than you can handle for a service business. Yes, thank you, thank you, yes. But what we thought would be really good for our online entrepreneurs to talk about how you were able to triple your website traffic by deleting a third of your content. Now, that sounds counter to what most people would normally hear. Yeah, yeah. It sounds very counterintuitive, but it's it's actually where the internet is going. And I fumbled into it by luck. It's not like I set out to hey, I want to triple my content. Let me delete a third of my traffic and see what happens. I, I fumbled into this and just kind of luckily it put me on the front end of the whole content audit process, which is becoming a bigger thing now. The big name sites started doing it about a year ago. Things like Copy Blogger and uh, HubSpot, some of the major SEO blogs, they started figuring out about the time I stumbled into it. In other words, I was finishing up my content audit just when I saw these guys starting to step into it and people were starting to realize that this was the way the system worked. Um, Basically, the idea is that Google's all about quality. They've always said they're about quality. They want to return the highest quality result for any given search term. And so when you go through a content audit and improve the overall quality of your site and the quality of every experience on your site, Google will recognize that. Google is so incredibly smart now They've got so much information coming from so many angles that they can cross correlate to determine what's truly high quality content versus what's not that basically you're left at a point you really have to just produce extreme high quality. What you want to do is you want to ask yourself when you produce a piece of content is does it deserve to be number one in the search results? Is it absolutely definitively better than everything else out there? That's kind of the game we're playing now. Who can produce the absolute best product for any given search term? And so that's what a content audit does is it it cleans up your site in a way that raises the overall quality experience for every piece of content and every related search term. And Google starts recognizing your site as an authority for a given subject matter. And there's layers to how you pull that off. And I stumbled into one of them, one of the key ones, which was through the content audit process. And when you say content audit, I'm assuming, and obviously you'll clarify this for me, do you go through all the posts that you've ever posted and think, okay, that one's out of date? So you either update it or you delete it altogether. Yeah, so what you do is you review all your posts and you run them through a four-point decision. It's either going to be a keep, which is a keep as is because it's high-quality, evergreen content, and it's one of the top things in that category – Or you have improve, which means you want to update it and expand upon it and improve it so it becomes one of the best choices for for that related search. 
or another category. There's four of them here. So the first is keep, then improve. The other one's consolidate. Maybe you have four or five, seven posts kind of around a given topic, and now you can consolidate them. And so it's a really powerful, so you combine several small posts into a pillar post. And then the fourth is remove. So, and that's something that's off topic. It's off brand. It's not related to the general theme of your site, and it doesn't add to the overall value of the site. So, for example, a lot of people have guest posts that are trash, or they have um, roundup posts that are no longer relevant. You know, there's a lot of different types of posts that don't really add to the quality of the site. And so those are just deleted entirely. And so that's the stuff. I deleted roughly a third of my content that was off brand, small, not related wasn't anywhere near the best in the category, was out of date, whatever. Consolidated a ton of stuffs. In the process of consolidating, you end up deleting, right? Because if you take five, ten smaller posts and combine them into one big post, you'll place the big post at the highest ranking in that group and then delete the others in 301, redirect them back up into that best post. And then you've got keep and improve. So anyway, it's a it's a very involved process. But that's where it starts. So the way you start it is you do a database dump. You get a database list into a spreadsheet of absolutely everything on your website. And you go through it page by page, post by post, and decide what you're going to do with it. Are you going to keep it, improve it, consolidate it, or remove it? And one of the important things that stood out to me too, Todd, as you, you were talking about, that was the 301 redirect. So if you're going to consolidate or delete something, you want to do a redirect and for those that may be not familiar what we're talking about it's where if anyone ever goes to that back to tries to go back to that page that you've consolidated or deleted it redirects them somewhere else so they're not stranded they don't get a 404 error message which is not good for your search engine ranking yeah exactly so there's a 301 redirect which is something where it's relevant and you can send it to a proper equivalent right and so that your first choice would be a related article on the site. If you can't find a related article on the site that's thematically close, then you could go to the category header. That's okay. You don't want to do it all the time, but for ones where that's the only thing you can do, that's fine. And then generally, you don't want to go much above that. You don't want to try 301 redirecting to the homepage too much. That's not really good. That's not good etiquette, if you will. So you're trying to go to a related post because it's got to be thematically similar. And then you've got a 410 right? So a 410 is where there's no equivalent and you've truly just deleted it and Google knows to just remove it from the search engines. And then there's another category, which is a 404. And a 404 you want to avoid. In my term, that's just sloppy web management. And that's where, you know, there's no content to be found. The visitor ends up in a dead end and they're not given a viable choice otherwise. Um, and so 404 errors is just poor uh, web management and should generally be avoided. So you're really looking for 301s or 410s. So as you were doing all this, Todd, you mentioned that overall you deleted around a third of your content. And as you did that, the website traffic tripled. So you, I'm, I'm guessing you were tracking this through something like Google Analytics and you noticed the increase in traffic? Well, actually, it's not quite that simple. What I did was, okay, so I built out the spreadsheet and I categorized all the posts, right? And so the quickest, easiest thing to do is all the deletes, right? Because you can find all your trash posts. They have no social media interests. They're not getting traffic. They're not ranking. They're not related to your brand. You don't want to re rework them. You just want to clean up your site and clean up your search experience, right? And so those are all marked for deletion. 
and then you find where you want to 301 redirect them for relevant stuff on your site. So I did a whole pile. I mean, there was hundreds of uh, deletions and 301 redirects. And I did them all at one time, right? So I literally, I sent a massive 301 redirect file over to my web host. You do them in different ways, depending on if you're on a, an Apache server or an Nginx server. And so that's kind of technical stuff. But anyway, there's different ways to manage the 301 redirects. But I sent over a massive 301 redirect file. They all got implemented in a single day. I did all these mass deletions all at the same time, all in one day. And then I vanished from the search engines. I mean, it was, <laughs> I just, <laughs> oh my gosh, man. I went stuff that I have ranked for for a decade, right? That I've been top or I went to like page 12. Stuff that I was on page two, I went to non-existent. I mean, I just fished from the search engines, right? And that went for a full week. I thought I was toast. I thought I'd really done something dumb. And I'd done all my <laughs> research. And again, you understand this stuff wasn't well proven back when I did it, right? But I'd done a bunch of research on best practices and whatnot and thought I knew what I was doing. And I just held my breath, held my breath. And then exactly a week later to the day, Suddenly I reappeared and I reappeared better than ever. Like nice, terms, nice. terms that I was on. So I'm thinking what I triggered was a manual audit of my site, you know, or a manual check of my site because there was so much 301 redirect that I think they just decided to put a manual check or triggered something on the site because I do rank high some important terms. And so anyway, so like a week later, I reappeared higher than ever. So like terms that I was number five for on page one, I was like number two. And terms that I was on page two for, I was middle of page one. Like all of a sudden, I just came back stronger than ever a week later. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So let's back up a second. I want to, first of all, give the theory behind content audits. Okay. Because it's really important. Like, why do you do this? What? Where did all this come from? And where it came from was I had... You know, I had a really, my site was in really lousy shape. It, I, it had all kinds of mistakes built into it. I had done all kinds of things wrong, uh, had bad programming in there, all kinds of worse practices that I'd done. And honestly, I was looking at wondering, am I even going to continue or not? Because it was such a huge task to undertake to get all this all cleaned up. And I just said, you know what? I really love this business. I don't want to leave it. I want to go ahead and do it. I'm going to commit to it. I knew it was going to be like a year-long process, Right. And I was, I was like, okay, I'm just going to commit to it and really get this site on a strong basis. And so I dug into it and I built a whole protocol that I had to follow for each post and, you know, this whole process for it. And the way I kind of figured it out in hindsight, what I did is this is really common sense when you think about it, John. Let's, let's change the name from content audit to content edit. For example, you wouldn't publish a book without editing it time and time again. You have content edits. You have line edits. You go through multiple editors. You rework that book backwards and forwards to get it super tight, right? Well, think about your site. It's like a large book that was written from one end to the other and never edited, right? You write a page, you publish it. You write a page, you publish it. You write a page, you publish it, and you just go on and on. And this site is this accumulation of all this stuff that you've done over the years. Your writing style changes over the years. You learn more about how to do it properly. You get change your formatting. And so you've got this massive site of all this unedited stuff, if you will. Again, I'm changing it from audit to edit. And so if you really think about a content audit is nothing more than like editing a book where each post is like a section in a book. 
it makes a lot more sense at that point. Now that book, when it's done, or your site in this case, becomes thematically consistent. The site makes sense to the visitor and it makes sense to the search engines because it's tight, just like a book would be tight. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And, and as you were talking about that, Todd, there was a few things that stood out to me. And one, one of them is, well, one of the questions our listeners might be asking is, how do I know best practices? And one thing that came to my mind was that Google actually tells you. And I don't know if you did this, Todd, so maybe you can, in a moment I'll definitely would love to get your feedback on this. But if you go and search for, um, I'm not sure the correct search term these days, but if you search for Google Webmaster Guidelines, for example, uh, you can download a PDF where Google actually tells you what they want. So it's not a secret. They actually they tell you exactly how they want you to structure your content, every, everything about your site, so you can rank really well on Google. So did you use that, Todd, or what do you use for your best practices? Well, there's a lot of things like that. So that's why I said I sourced quite a bit of material, and I created a set of guidelines for myself about how I wanted it structured. And a lot of it's common sense, too. If you just think from a user perspective, you know, most of us, if you've been at this game for a few years, and I know I had at this point, you're going to have more content on your site than any one human can ever consume. I mean, if you went and printed out all the page, all the the posts on my site, not even the pages, but the posts, I have like, I don't know, 1,200, 1,400 printed pages of reading. I mean, it's crazy. It's like books and books and books of reading. And that's after I did a massive deletion and cleanup. I mean, there's just a ton of material on that site. And so... Making that tight and giving a good visitor experience, think about it. Most visitors, when you go to a site, what are you going to do? You're going to sample three, five, ten really good articles to make your decision about whether you want to do business with that person. And so because you're looking generally for a specific solution to a specific problem when you're on the Internet, you're you're searching for something because you have an interest in it. And you're always trying to decide, am I at a good choice for my needs? And that article has to say that immediately. You know, and so just think about it from the user perspective. What what am I doing here? Am I really providing a great user experience or not? And when you do that, you're going to get very close to Google guidelines. So things like using an H1 title, getting the keywords near the front of the title, um, use of images, proper title tags, attribution tags, uh, internal linking practices inside the site, use of H2 subheaders, bullet point lists, making it structuring your content so it's scannable you know, for the casual readers so they can scan it. There are all kinds of best, best practices that are very well documented throughout the internet. None of it's a secret. Mm-hmm. What about backlinks, Todd? Is that something you focus on, getting other sites to backlink to your site? Well, backlinks are always important, right? That's Google built its reputation off its original backlinking algorithm. But with time, that's becoming less important more important is the authority of your content now authoritative content will naturally draw backlinks but you have to in the in the initial game before you become well known like my site's becoming more well known now and so when i write an authoritative piece of content it just grabs backlinks now because i have enough people that follow me but in the early days i didn't have that and i would have to market that content and attract attention to it so yeah backlinks are important but backlinks I did an experiment where I had a sales page for a book. This is before Amazon came along. And I had a sales page for a book. And just through backlinking alone, I I drove that thing to a top rank for a very important keyword several times. I would backlink like crazy to it, do all kinds of backlinking strategies, get interest to it, guest post, all these things. 
get the backlinks up to it and it would push it up to like number two or and it would drop back down. And then I would drive it back up and it would drop back down. And I did this several times and I learned Google's monitoring the quality experience. When people search for that term, they're looking for free education and info. They're not looking for a sales page. And so when they would hit a sales page, they would bounce. And so it didn't matter how much backlinking I did and how much marketing I did. It was a lousy visitor experience from somebody who's searching in Google for free education, for free information. And so because I had lousy visitor stats, there was no way I was going to ever drive that thing to a top rank. I had to give a good visitor experience first and foremost and figure out a different conversion strategy than a straight sales page. Again, I'm trying to point out Google's very smart. So basically, if you just always think in terms of giving a great visitor experience, you'll be on track. Yeah. And the website we're talking about, and I'm just, I was just having a quick look. Are we talking about financialmentor.com? Yes, absolutely. That's my only website, financialmentor.com. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And that's a great domain name, by the way. So you, you've obviously, you most probably had that, as you, as I've been sort of guessing by, by this discussion, you've had that domain for a while now. Todd, you've shared with us some excellent insights for people out there that have an online business that want to get more exposure for their business, that want to get better rankings on Google. Was there any other advice you wanted to give on that? Or did you want to talk at all about anything else, especially in regards to financialmentor.com? Well, no, I just, I mean, I educate people on how to become wealthy, how to build wealth. If your goal is financial freedom, that's what I teach. And I teach it in a unusual way. I don't teach get rich quick. I don't, I'm not a frugality guy. I basically, I'm very much come from like the science or the engineering side of it. And so I teach you a realistic approach on how to engineer your life to organize your resources and your time and how you structure what you do with your life to result in financial independence. So anyway, if somebody wants a realistic approach that's thought out and it's all based on proven principles, that's what I teach. Yeah, fantastic. So anyone that's interested, again, the website, if you want to find out, uh, get in contact with Todd or find out more about his content and what he does and what he can help you financially, again, that website's financialmentor.com. I give away a free course and I give away a free book to new subscribers. So it's just a relationship building thing and it kind of gives them an idea of what I teach there and what the flavor of my teachings are. And of course, the cost is nothing. It's all about building relationships. So if they just hit the subscribe when they come over, they'll they'll get to learn a lot more. Yeah, great. And that's the Wealth Blueprint that's on the website. Yeah, yeah. So it's a free, there's a free book called 18 Essential Lessons from a Self-Made Millionaire. So it teaches a lot of the lessons I had to learn along the road where I took it kind of the hard way. So hopefully readers get a quicker path than I did. And then I have another course called 52 Weeks to Financial Freedom. And so it's an email drip course. It comes out over 52 weeks and it takes you through all the steps that each person goes through to become financially independent. And this was developed through, I've been coaching people now on this for not quite two decades, about 18 years as of this recording. And I noticed that everybody maps out into a seven step process and they just come to me at different steps in the process, but everybody follows the same process. And so I've broken it down in a seven-step process, and I give it away as a free little e-course. And I noticed you got a free audio. For those of us that don't like to sit down with a book, like I know for myself, I love books. I love, I love learning, but I love audio books because I'm just fine. I just don't sit down and read books. I also notice, again, you've got some free audio as well of some yeah. of your education too. Uh-huh. Just trying to help people and trying to reach them in whatever way they learn from. Awesome. Look, again, thank you so much, Todd, for being with us today. I got a lot 
out of our conversation and I'm sure our listeners have. So again, really much, uh, very much appreciated, Todd. And I want to say thank you to everyone for being here on this podcast with us today as well. All right. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you got a lot out of it. As a way of saying thank you for being a loyal listener, I've got a very special gift for you. You can get immediate access to my online business coaching program for free. These step-by-step videos will show you how to set up your website, create an automated sales funnel, and also how to drive targeted traffic to your business for literally pennies per click. It's ready for you to access right now. Simply head on over to johnslikes.com forward slash podcast. This is John Ligadaka signing off. I'll see you all next time.